This is Lock and Code, a Malwarebytes podcast. I'm your host, David Reese. This week, we're going to talk about last week, starting with the news. On Malwarebytes Labs, we reported on what is likely the biggest security breach to ever hit Twitter. On July 15th, scores of big-name accounts, including Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, Barack Obama, and Kanye West, tweeted out the same bogus claim. The coronavirus pandemic had created overnight generosity, and thus, if people donated $1,000 to this here Bitcoin wallet, they'd receive $2,000 in return. What a deal! Wait, I mean steal. Uh, Twitter later said it was the victim of a coordinated attack, in which, according to outside reports, threat actors commandeered a Twitter engineer's control panel— and then swapped multiple Twitter accounts registered email addresses to email addresses that the threat actors owned. Once the changes were made, the threat actors created new passwords for the Twitter accounts and began broadcasting the cryptocurrency scam. As of the next morning, they'd amassed nearly $120,000. I feel for the victims here. I do. But the scam should have been immediately obvious when some of those billionaires tweeted out they were feeling generous. On Labs, we also told website owners about common misconfigurations to avoid, lest they lose website functionality or suffer a hit to their trusted reputation. The main takeaways are, don't create a labyrinth of subdomains only to forget about them and possibly lose control of them. Don't route your content delivery networks to outside websites that could one day shut down. And finally, do update and clean up any lingering admin accounts that may no longer be in use. Which reminds me, I should probably revoke my personal blog access to my old college roommate. Finally, we offered our thoughts on Google's latest advertising ban for StockAware-type applications. Google's updated policy will prohibit some surveillance tech companies from marketing their products on Google, but it comes with a caveat. Parental monitoring apps are considered okay. This is disappointing. As we've learned, some of the very same mobile apps that market themselves as tools to spy on wives and girlfriends or husbands and boyfriends can then change their marketing overnight to present themselves as family-friendly tools for child safety. But the capabilities can remain identical. Unfettered, non-consensual access to GPS locations, text messages, web browsing history, photos, videos, and social media activity. Google's decision is a good first step, and we hope the glaring loophole is soon addressed. In cybersecurity news across the world, TechCrunch reported on Google's latest product, titled Confidential VMs. The new type of virtual machine offers memory encryption to more thoroughly isolate workloads on the cloud. This means that data won't just be encrypted at rest, but also in memory, which is, I assume, our first step into encrypting our own personal memories? Try and interrogate me now, cops. Ars Technica provided a follow-up on a security firm's explosive findings from three weeks ago, in which researchers uncovered spyware installed on tax software that is mandated for use by the Chinese government. In the latest turn, researchers found separate malware in the same tax software that can bypass user account controls. Look, I don't enjoy doing my taxes, but at least I know I'm not being spied on. I think? Wired shared information about the Atlas of Surveillance, 
a joint effort by the digital rights organization Electronic Frontier Foundation and the University of Nevada, Reno's Reynolds School of Journalism. The Atlas is an online map that documents police surveillance technology, including body-worn cameras, drones, cell site simulators, and automated license plate readers. So, if you already didn't have a reason to not leave your home, the pandemic, now you have a second reason, expanding surveillance. Bleeping Computer reported that the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency in the U.S. told all federal executive branch departments to patch a wormable Windows DNS bug in 24 hours. As someone who has received many 24-hour deadlines in my life, I do not envy those men and women. And finally, Tom's Guide told readers to beware of a new Android banking trojan that can steal information from more than 330 apps, including Facebook, Gmail, and Twitter. Users should also beware of losing their minds from looking too much at those apps, as I have during Shelter in Place. Our main story today concerns Bluetooth and beacon technology. It comes to us in a roundabout way. Last month, cybersecurity experts warned the public about the data collection practices inside the Donald Trump 2020 re-election campaign's mobile app. The app, rather simply, offers news and updates to users who download it. And it gives the Trump campaign an opportunity to directly message users without having to rely on large social media platforms like Facebook and Twitter. But the app, once downloaded, requests broad access to user information and feature permissions, including device contacts, rough location, device storage, ID, call information, Bluetooth pairing, and more. In speaking with Newsweek about the potential dangers of these broad permissions, independent cybersecurity researcher Sean Wright said, Regardless of political perspective, this app raises several privacy-related concerns. In some aspects, it does appear to be more like a spy in a pocket, rather than an app to help make an informed decision who to vote for in the next presidential election. On today's episode, we're focusing on one of those requested permissions, Bluetooth. The technology, which actually dates back to 1989, began as research into short-link radio to help develop wireless headsets. Today, it's kind of looped right back around to that initial purpose, powering countless wireless Bluetooth headphones. It, of course, also allows for nearby data transfer and device connectivity. But there's a use to Bluetooth that many of us don't see, almost entirely because we're not meant to. That use is advertising. To help us better understand Bluetooth technology and whether apps that request access to the functionality on our devices are a big concern, we're talking today with Chris Boyd, lead malware intelligence analyst for Malwarebytes. Chris, welcome back to the show. Thank you. It's great to be back. Let's just get right into it. To better understand the concerns around access to Bluetooth pairing, we probably first have to understand Bluetooth technology and what's called beacon technology. Can you tell us about beacons? You know, what, what are they? How long have they been around? And, and what was their intended purpose? I can indeed. As you've already mentioned, Bluetooth was invented in 1989. Uh, didn't have that name when it was created. That sort of came along a little bit later. But from 89 to 2010, we are essentially beacon-free. And in 2010, Bluetooth 4.0 was released, which added this additional functionality where beacons 
could transmit out but not actually listen. So no no pairing was required. So it was a little bit more fire and forget, a little bit more flexible with regards to some of the things that you could now do with Bluetooth technology. So for a while, uh, when Bluetooth first came out, and we, we weren't at the, the smartphone stage at this point, everybody had the old clamshell phones and very, very basic yeah. internet functionality. Probably depends when you grew up and were, but in my in my sort of social circles, Bluetooth was kind of uncool. It was a combination of nobody really knew what it was, and, <laughs> and people just thought it was a bit boring and rubbish. And people were way more interested in some of the other things you could do with mobile technology. So, you know, originally you could use Bluetooth to very, very painfully and slowly transfer images and videos and things like that from device to device. And Bluetooth gets a bit of an unfair rep, really, because there were many occasions where I've, I've had, for example, people, relatives with phones that they'd accidentally dropped in, you know, a, a cup of tea or, or a phone that was damaged in some way where they couldn't access for example, the files or photographs and things like that. And you can mm -hmm. still, usually at a, at a bare minimum, still have the Bluetooth functionality on the phone still be ticking along somewhere. So I've, I've actually extracted very valuable, very old photographs from people's mobile devices where they, they thought there was no way to get them off. And you could still incredibly slowly save hundreds and hundreds of images from these otherwise completely busted mobile devices so you know it, it, it is it does get a bad reputation it is quite useful but i'm getting ahead of myself a little bit so <laughs> 2010 we've got this beacon technology this is really when the the major advertising players online start to ramp up their campaigns they start to discover what's possible how much money they can make from pumping these adverts out on social media platforms news websites you've got all these content management systems that are becoming big business and people started to realize, hey, you know, we could use this Bluetooth technology as a way of pumping advertisements and tracking out into the real world and have it, you know, follow you around, follow you home, if you like. It's funny that you were mentioning, yeah, that Bluetooth has this bad rap and you used it previously to retrieve some photos from, from busted up phones. My first phone that had Bluetooth was a was like a flip phone. It was still a flip phone at the time. And I remember I I used Bluetooth just as a just to see if I could move an like a ringtone over to my phone. And it worked, right? It it did work. It did take longer than I imagined it would have. But at the time, like when it was still a capability, I legitimately I was blown away. I was like, what the hell is this? Like I couldn't believe it. Even if it was super slow, I was kind of super confused about it to begin with. And uh, like you said, the application for it beginning in the 2010s was to help with advertising, help track people. And from my understanding, though, again, we have to kind of go down this road of pulling apart one thing before we pull apart another. And for advertising here, what I understand is, is we're looking at something called geofencing when we're, like you said, tracking real world things into online things, tracking real world movements what is geofencing? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's an interesting one. There's a lot of misconceptions out there about how Bluetooth works and how you can use it for good purposes and bad purposes. And generally, people have experienced it in some degree in the real world. Certainly, if, you know, the geofencing aspect of it, if you had a kid in, in a nursery or you had relatives maybe that worked in, in dangerous locations like, like, I don't know, an oil rig or, you know, just somewhere generally hazardous, you can essentially carve out this, this virtual space around a real location. So 
Nowadays, they may well plug into things like Google Maps or other mapping tools. So that's how they get this accurate picture of a, a real space digitally. They essentially drop this large, invisible, circular blanket, if you like, over a specific <laughs> location. You can configure it so that anything that goes into this location will ping, or anything that leaves this location will ping, depending on what you'd want to do. So you could track kids escaping from their, their school or their nursery. Someone that's supposed to be on, under house arrest, for example, with the ankle bracelet, if they leave uh, the house, they're confined to, you know, the, it will mm -hmm. ping a signal. If you're working somewhere dangerous, it will let you know, you know, danger, Will Robinson, please move yes. away from the incredibly dangerous radioactive pile of goop on the floor. These are all things that we're familiar with through, you know, television, through works of fiction. We all have a basic understanding that those things exist. We may not understand that it's, it's potentially got a, a sprinkle of Bluetooth in there or some geofencing to get the job done. That's common with a lot of things Bluetooth-centric. So, you know, going back to in the olden days when these, these pieces of technology were introduced, people would often... So, oh, they, they look at all the system settings. Oh, Bluetooth, I'd better turn that off. It'll, you know, it'll drain my mm -hmm. battery. And of course, it's one mm -hmm. of the most battery-friendly technologies you can have on your device. So in terms of geofencing, you know, if I wanted to send you to my, my cool shopping mall or my, my business or try and sell you some stuff, I would set up these geofences away from where my building, my location is, and I would try and use these things to ping your device, for example. So it might ping your mobile or it might send you a message or it might flash up a, a message on a gigantic digital billboard to let you know, hey, this thing that you, you never knew you wanted is only uh, 10 miles in that direction. Give them this code from this digital billboard and you'll get the discount. So that is essentially how geofencing works in, in, a, in a sort of marketing sales environment. So, you know, it's moved on from providing safety features and functionality like like stop, keeping kids in, in a school or stopping a, a potentially dangerous criminal wandering off somewhere to, you know, I'm going to sell you lots of really cheap donuts. Is it accurate? And I say that in terms of like, does a company, let's say Target, if I walked into their store and I was looking at certain items, let's say sheets, would Target know that I was looking specifically at sheets and not at I don't know, toaster ovens? The way the beacons work, once you've got past the, the geofencing part of it to, to get you to the, the store or the business, once you're inside, that's where these beacons come into play. Now, there's, mm. there's a bit of confusion over what these things look like specifically because the, mm. the fact that the matter is they can basically look like anything. If you think of a, a Bluetooth beacon as a sort of router in your home, it can be a small box, it can be a, a cube shape, something round, something <laughs> that looks a bit weird and sci-fi. The main thing is, is that it pulses out this signal. So the faster it pulses out this signal in the store, uh, the radius of the store, the more accurate the tracking will be. Now, this would generally depend on you having installed an app on your phone first and ah. giving it permission to pair with the beacon. So once that's done, the quicker this thing is pinging out that signal, the better an idea they will have of what you're actually doing. So they can track you very, very closely. As with the mm -hmm. geofencing, it's only as accurate as the data the thing has been provided. So there's a big crossover there with geofencing and lots of geographical survey tools. So, you know, the tools people will actually go off to make, you know, actual proper maps, very, very accurate, you know, similar sort of things. So these, these beacons will ping you. They will follow you around the store. There's a big crossover there with advertising in 
augmented reality space. So that's not the same as virtual reality where, you know, you throw on a headset or some goggles and everything is digital. Mm. Augmented reality is where you throw on some glasses or goggles and some of the things are digital and they're overlaid over and across real world objects. So you could have a combination of augmented reality on someone's phone app and these, these Bluetooth beacons. So, you know, I'm in a store, I'm waving my phone around, and when I hover it over certain items, rather than having to pick the thing up and dig around for the price or, or you know, touch things and all the rest of it, I can just hover the phone over it and see not only the price at a glance, but discounts and other information I might want. I can go into a furniture shop and I can get the measurements for the furniture beamed into my phone. I can go home and I can project a, a virtual reality three-dimensional image, if you like, of, of this chair or this table and make yeah. sure it fits the space perfectly, which is actually quite useful. And there's other more slightly stranger applications of that same technology where, unbeknownst to myself, I might, I might be hovering the phone over the various items in the store that take my eye. A salesperson could, you know, behind the scenes, look at all this data, figure out what I was looking at the longest, the things I looked at for the shortest amount of time, and then they might follow up with a sales pitch based on the thing I looked at the longest but didn't buy. So then you start getting, you know, the offers on the phone for, hey, you know, we noticed you really like this. Hey, would you be interested in coming back and with a with a fifty or a hundred dollar discount? You know, and you may not be aware that that the reason you got that advert after you'd left was because of pairing the device, because of the beacon technology because of what you were physically eyeballing with your, you know, your actual head and your actual <laughs> eyes through this mobile device, it does have the potential to be kind of creepy as well. From everything you've said, like you said, there, there is a, a level of granularity here, which feels invasive at first blush. Uh, it feels like this is something where I'm immediately concerned about potential attacks, right? If this kind of technology is available to advertisers, you know, what's stopping it from being available to threat actors? But I think more importantly from those questions is trying to basically understand, is this technology secure? And am I at risk of something even called like a Bluetooth attack? Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting one because, again, Bluetooth is is sort of saved by its very short range. So, you know, if I'm wandering around with some theoretical Bluetooth exploit nobody else knows about, I would first have to find, you know, somehow the members of the public out on the street, maybe not quite so many at the moment, but a, a theoretical <laughs> place where lots of people are on the street and all very distant, it would rely on them having Bluetooth up and running. It might rely on them having to have the right make of phone or the you know specific version of Bluetooth. And in most cases with Bluetooth attacks, all you can really do, and I, I say really do in, in you know some big old speech marks there, is essentially send random people random files and messages. So in 2018, I think it was, you had something called AirDrop, which affected Apple devices where people would essentially send you probably quite disgusting images or, or audio files or just, you know, shock memes or dubious jokes, very dubious uh, <laughs> a lot of the time, unfortunately. And this was because of the way Bluetooth works. You know, it's again, going back to their example of recovering all those millions of really old photographs, you know, what, what is Bluetooth for if not sending files with a minimum of force. So, but even there, your device had to be discoverable. 
So if it wasn't said to be discoverable by everybody on top of being discoverable instead of just your contacts, you wouldn't get these really dubious things sent to you. And that was in 2018. You can go all the mm -hmm. way back to 2003, I think, where bluejacking, uh, which, which is essentially the, the old granddad version of airdrop, was invented. So, you know, you would create a contact in your mobile device, but instead of giving them a name, you would make the, the contact name the message you wanted to send somebody. And then, of course, when you were out and about and the device was purred, you would be sent almost like a, a, a very bizarre business card. Uh, yeah. You would be sent the contact name of the, the other person's device. But, of course, it was the, the really bizarre message instead. Oh. So that's from 2003, and it hasn't really evolved that much as an attack <laughs> yes. uh, up to 2018. So the real threat with this potentially would be a rogue beacon perhaps in a store. So maybe, because some of these beacons, you know, they're very, very basic. They just basically pump out the signal, their mm -hmm. ID, their unique identifier. So when you, when you walk into its range with your phone, all this thing does is send out this ID and that's it. And your phone recognizes it and then will theoretically start to communicate depending on what kind of communication it is, if you've paired, if you've installed an app. And a lot of these beacons will also mm -hmm. plug into metrics. So, you know, you can go off and you can see what people were doing, what they were looking at, where they went in the store. That usually requires you to secure it with some sort of admin account or password. So maybe the beacon is insecure. Maybe they didn't set a password. Maybe it's got a default password. If all of those things weren't the case, and if somebody compromised this thing without anybody noticing, and if the beacon even possessed some sort of capability beyond, here I am, buy a donut, then maybe you could use it to get up to something. But generally, the real threat is, is again, you know, it's analytics, it's marketing, it's data, it's privacy, it's tracking. You know, some of these beacons you can even plug into specific ad tools, like powerful ad tools, like, for example, AdSense, which, you know, makes these things even more sophisticated in terms of who am I selling to? Who are these people? Where, where am I going to send these adverts? So that, for me personally, is the biggest issue with these tools because most people don't generally, in the same way people would turn off Bluetooth because they thought it would drain their battery, people now leave it on but don't really understand this massive invisible marketing frame around their very existence, if you like, without trying to sound too dramatic there. Knowing that the risks here are privacy-related, are data analytics-related, are related to kind of revealing a portrait of who we are digitally and, and physically, let's go back to the Donald Trump 2020 re-election mobile app. What would be the purpose of having Bluetooth permissions in that Trump app? And, and what could the campaign team learn about someone that, that is potentially invasive? Yeah, I mean, on its own... Again, it's, I think it's important not to overhype potential threats from Bluetooth as a standalone. You know, on its on its own, I think it's pretty useful. I think it's great for you know your, your wireless headphones, your devices around the house. It's certainly a lot quicker to transfer files now as well, which is a nice bonus. But in in terms of apps, it's pretty much the same rule of thumb for most apps. Really, you know, what exactly are the the permissions at install? Would you install an app with loads and loads of permissions that was a a sort of generic pay-to-win game off the Google Play Store? Would you lock everything down? Would you go and dig around on the internet to find out what these permissions are? Because let's face it, most mobile permissions 
people don't really understand what they are. They have, you know, they, even where they have a fairly plain English description on the, the install page, a lot of the time you might understand what it's telling you, you know, uh, gain access to contacts. Okay, it's gonna, I'm going to grant access to all of my contacts. But it's the why. It's always the why and what is it going to do with it that you don't know because the app isn't going to tell you on that install screen. None of them do. So you're quite often completely in the dark as to what specifically is going to happen with your data. So the more app permissions it requests, the more sort of direct, indirect ownership of your phone, if you like, that it asks for, that's when the alarm bells start to sound. So on its own Bluetooth, perhaps, for this, this specific app, wouldn't really bother people so much, I don't think. You might get some fairly generic vote for me in 2020 ad sort of notifications, perhaps. Yeah, uh, which probably is, get you know, that anyways. Is, yeah, is, is what you would expect during election yeah. season, installing an election app right. on your phone. <laughs> right, um, what else are you getting it yeah, for? <laughs> that's where I would, I, I would expect that and not a game of Angry Birds. And quite frankly, I would be more puzzled if I did suddenly start playing Angry Birds or some other game from a voting app. But it's when it starts to grant all these additional permissions. So, you know, there's, it's not just Bluetooth in there. It's, it's contacts. It's various other permissions from top to bottom on the phone that it, this thing wants access to. And all of these different techniques, permissions, technologies combined are fantastic ways to really drill down and track people at a very, very granular level. There is no way to say specifically what it would do because we, you know, ultimately we don't know. That's for the people who've made the app behind the scenes to know themselves. But the fact that this app has this basically open season on permissions, the fact that it was made, I believe, with an older version, it was rolled up with an older version of Android instead of one of the newer versions, which is potentially bad. There are issues there of what specifically are they going to do? How deeply into my life are they going to drill down? As the cost of installing this app, what will they track? Will they make connections between perhaps uh, marketing profiles tied to myself versus uh, other people that I, that I have as contacts on my phone, perhaps? Because it's, it's quite straightforward with marketing platforms to not just build up a picture of an individual, but also map out pictures of people associated with their individuals. So in a non-marketing sense, that's something that social networks have done for years. You know, you will group person A, along with person B through Z, all of their interests, all of their connections, all of the things they like to do, the people in their photographs tagged to other people. Under the hood, that social network is just drawing all of these connections between all of these people nonstop. And that, that is how a social network works. And then when you throw in all of this incredibly real-world data, very personal data, very revealing information, and it's not only tied to Bluetooth, but your day-to-day -day movements, your contacts, your connections, and then all of the other data that's invisible to you but not to the advertisers, that's an incredible amount of information and an amazing way for somebody to try and build up an election campaign where you may not mm. fully understand the ramifications of everything you've just given to them. And by, by comparison, for example, the, the Joe Biden app is a lot more reserved and conservative actually in terms of what what it actually asks for i think it's funny that we're looking at these things like look this is what a social network is this is what they do it's not it's not just data on you it's on your network ta-da you know like and i also think it's funny because these conversations are happening right now and 
even when I was looking at this app, there was a small part of me that was like, okay, if I were to download it, right? Okay, so they know stuff about me. Like, what's the big deal? And then I remembered that 2016 uh, was not 100 years ago, as it feels. It was only a <laughs> few years ago. And like we, we had a scandal about this. We had a Cambridge Analytica scandal about an app taking data from people and then mapping out their connections to their friends without explicit approval. And it's something that like, it was front page news, I think for a month, you know, and, and we're still, if you ask someone about it, most people who know about it still upset. And so at that time, right, I understand it's a different upset. It was a surreptitious taking of data. It was not abiding by Facebook, the platform's rules to, to take profile data of friends of friends, you know, that, that had been disallowed. But this is sort of the same thing. It's, it's just, it's just upfront. Like, it's just like, hey, yeah, we're not, we're not doing it behind your back. We're just, we're just going to take data. And if you're asking why is data important to a presidential campaign, every reason under the sun. You know, like that's it. Um, they're constantly looking to target and understand and kind of move the needle. But something I wanted to get back here is like you said, Bluetooth functionality in its own, if an app has a permission, if it requests to use it, again, on its own, that's not a big deal. That's not a huge concern. And so I just wanted to kind of level set here and make sure that I shouldn't be concerned about all apps that ask for simply Bluetooth functionality. You know, I, I, am I correct in that I shouldn't just throw away my Bluetooth headphones now? No, no, you, you can always give them to me. I love, I love <laughs> lovely free headphones. Brilliant. Um, no, I think, I mean, again, I'm, I'm always very careful to not overstate the, the threat with all these things that we talk about. I do like to pour the big old bucket of cold water on things immediately after talking about them. But I don't have a problem with Bluetooth. I think it's it's perfectly fine for what it is, what it does. I think if you know if you're really really worried about it, if you're worried about the tracking in in stores and you know real world bizarre marketing profiles following you back online and offline again and mixing everything up, you can switch it off. If you're if you're going to be near any stores and things, you can always just switch it off until you're somewhere where you're reasonably confident it's not present. And again, you generally would need to install an app and give permission to pair with the store's beacon and all the rest of it and physically go into the store and be looking to buy something. And in those situations, you might find it quite useful, you know, rather than the worst thing in the world. There are going to be people out there who are quite happy to do that. <laughs> Good luck to them, frankly. Um, I, don't, I don't think it's, it's as exploitable as most technologies that we that we use there's a lot more risk frankly from certain kinds of wi-fi use in you know in a, in a free web cafe where you're not sure if the, the the machines have been preloaded with malware or you're gonna riskily do something that isn't on a secure website in public on a terminal that someone can come along afterwards and use or you might leave mm -hmm. a usb stick in something those are all way more riskier than your phone sort of in comparison to most other things reason fairly weakly beaming out a a bluetooth signal begging for attention i don't think it's it's really high up on the risk scale it's when it's it's tied into other things and loops back into lots of other permissions that it can become problematic and you know you mentioned 2016 and cambridge analytica i think i was 9 years old in 2016 <laughs> how how i how, how i changed <laughs> 
uh, how, how the world has moved on. That was massive. That I mean, I don't know exactly what the, the impact was in the States long after the story was forgotten about, but it, it doesn't feel like that long ago when they were raiding the offices of Cambridge Analytica in the UK. Mm-hmm. My goodness, that, that was only about 700 years ago at this point. Um, <laughs> who, who knows? I've lost the concept of time. Um, <laughs> I've been trapped in this house for a millennia. So, you know, it, it was a big deal. And it, it, as yeah. you say, it, it was a, a very dubious bunch of data collection. And, and people have seen it happen. People have seen there were pretty much a, a, a quite obvious and overt lack of consequences. So now people are like, well, okay, <laughs> please give us, give us the stuff. Okay, here you go. And I don't pretend to understand all the ins and outs of U.S. election cycles because the way that elections take place over there, the way the voting happens, the way it happens state by state, it is the most complicated, confusing thing I have ever seen in my life. But I do know that an app that requests that many permissions for a major election campaign on the back of having seen all of these things play out with Cambridge Analytica and what you can do with data and what you can do with information from social networks and in the real world, online and offline, that is going to have a huge amount of impact. I know that just the merest amount of information from that is going to help someone somewhere devise very, very specific, very well-oiled, targeted marketing campaigns. It's going to send money into the places where it needs to go to to convince somebody to go out and vote for X, Y, and Z instead of ABC. And it could easily turn the tide of any election. It really, really could. I wanted to kind of briefly go to the mechanics of our elections and say that Having been born here and lived here and reading coverage of elections pretty in-depthly, they're terrible. I wanted to get off of that tangent and return again to what you said here, which is this potential vulnerability, if you call it that, which is, which is really a, a potential vulnerability of, of finding out who you are. It requires so many circumstances to be set up first, right? You have to have the app for likely the store you're visiting. You know, you have to have that Target app. You have to have that McDonald's app. You have to have that Trader Joe's app. I don't know if those companies have apps altogether. They probably do. And then you have to turn on Bluetooth and, and you have to go to their stores. Those are, those are three quite targeted things happening. And I, I just wanted to be certain here, like you said, if you don't want to be tracked this way, you can just turn it off. That seems remarkably simple. So I just wanted to restate, that's true, right? Like, that's all it is, is I just have to turn Bluetooth off? Even with Bluetooth on, as you say, there are so many layers of implausible, improbable coincidence for you to be in the the wrong place at the wrong time in Mm -hmm. the wrong McDonald's where a hamburglar does something (laughs) terrible to your mobile. It's not going to happen. I'm sure there are instances and examples where something bad did happen, but they're they're probably on such a small scale and there's so few of them. The fact of the matter is, if you go digging around four major Bluetooth attacks down the years, the bulk of things that you will see are constantly going back to not much more sophisticated than, hello, do you like terrible pictures of things? Here's a terrible picture of a thing and sending you it or sending you a, a fake name as a joke. It just doesn't happen, really. And if you switch off the Bluetooth, that's it. You know, and if you switch on the Bluetooth, you need the app, you need the permission, you need to grant it access when it pops up 
when you walk in the store that you probably deliberately walked into in the first place and it'll say hi you know this is this is the the in-store app would you would you please you know kindly give me a a, a two-way connection so i can send you this thing yes you know push but there are so many steps you have to take to do it the more you 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 talk about it the more you try and come up with ways that people could exploit it in some sort of really malicious bad fashion it just becomes more and more improbable and i think that that level of improbability not impossible but that level of improbability really works in your favor it's one of the the few pieces of technology implementation where for the most part you can be reasonably certain that even with it switched on really dreadful things aren't going to happen probably yeah it's it's just good to level set here and like you said i i understand that there's a a sort of desire sometimes to look at a technology and be like, okay, let's find a way to discover a vulnerability. And, and that makes like that makes perfect sense. That's what we hope cybersecurity researchers do. But sometimes there are so many leaps to get to that conclusion that um, it kind of obscures the fact that people aren't going through all those leaps to begin with. And yeah, it's just good to, again, like I said, level set here. Chris, I just wanted to thank you again for coming on. Ah, anytime. Thank you. To our listeners at home, we'll talk to you again in two weeks when we discuss identity and access management services with Chuck Brooks. How do these tools operate in the real world? What risks already exist? And what technologies are going to influence them in the future?